Romans chapter 6. Keep your hands up so that they can see you. A couple up here, Pastor Steve. Gordon, I think there's one on the front pew here. You can take over to these folks here. Romans chapter 6. For those of you who are guests this morning here for the baptisms, we welcome you and we're glad that you're here to join us. And uh, I trust that you find us to be a loving family and your heart's encouraged as we uh, learn from God's word and hear the testimonies of these folks being baptized uh, in just a little bit here this morning. Um, but also we've been uh, continuing on in our habit, as it were, at Grace Church of attempting to study one book of the Bible at a time. And we're in the book of Romans. And we've been here since nearly the beginning of the year. We'll be here throughout the rest of the year just diving into this book and learning its rich truths in relationship to uh, how one is made right with God in Jesus Christ. And last week we finished up the end of the second section of this book. The first section tells us basically how everyone needs Christ. And then the second section commences in chapter 3 and verse 21 uh, by teaching us how to come to know Christ. And that section that begins in chapter 3 and verse 21 uh, that goes all the way through chapter 8, we're calling that salvation. Uh, but that section of chapter 3 verse 21 through chapter 8 is divided up into three subsections. And we call that justification, sanctification, and then preservation. So we went over that outline earlier in the year, but if you're newer to grace, you can just kind of write that down, and that's the track we're going to be taking over the next couple months together. We're looking at salvation. We did already in justification. What does it mean to be declared righteous in Jesus Christ? Chapter 6 and chapter 7 outline for us Sanctification, that's a big word that just simply means holiness. And that might be an unfamiliar term to you. That just simply means um, becoming more like God every day in our character. How's that? Pretty simple. That's chapter 6 and 7. And chapter 8 is going to describe for us what spiritual preservation is. So justification, sanctification, chapter 6 and 7, and then preservation in chapter 8. So for the next several weeks, we're just going to be discussing something that um, is a glorious agony for every Christian. Right? It's a glorious agony for every Christian. What does it mean to be set apart unto the character of God? Now, for those of you that have been in Christianity uh, a long time and you know your Bibles well... What we're not discussing in chapters 6 and 7 is positional sanctification. But what we did study under justification is positional righteousness. All that simply means is the moment that you're born again, God declares you with the righteousness of his son. So when he looks at you, he no longer sees you. He sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's living in you. And you've been pardoned of all your sin in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible also discusses at that moment that you've been declared positionally holy. Not just perfect in his righteousness, but perfect in his character, but that's positional. That's not what we're going to be discussing in chapters 6 and 7. Chapters 6 and 7 is really practical holiness. How do we pursue 
becoming more like God on a daily basis uh, as an individual in the way we live and the way we talk and the decisions that, that we make. Go back up with me for a little bit of context here into chapter 5, though. And let's look at verse 15 and verse 20. And we're going to be reminded of the source of our salvation, but also the source of our ability to practically walk with God every day. In verse 15, Paul says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the what? Much more. The influence of God in Jesus Christ in our lives is much more effectual than the influence of sin in our lives. Because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. Now go down to verse number 20. Verse number 20, we'll find some similar words. The law came in so that your transgression would increase. Remember we said last week the law was like gasoline on the fire. It just exposed more of our frailties and more of our inadequacies. But where sin increased because the law exposed it, what's the next phrase? Grace abounded all the more. Really superabundantly abounded, exponentially abounded. In other words, that's no contest. <laughs> the grace of God far overwhelms and supersedes the ability of sin through Adam. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because of the divine source of our ability, Jesus Christ, this grace, because of our divine source, Chapter 6 and 7 is going to outline for us the success that we can have in winning more spiritual battles than we lose as a born-again believer. And really, since we have this source and we've been not only saved by this grace, but we're sustained by this grace, every believer here can achieve that spiritual success of winning more battles than you lose in your daily walk. And the grammar here and the structure of chapter 6 especially that we'll look at over the next several weeks is really going to help us understand how to step in the light uh, in that regard for sure. Okay. Do you remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18? It's a good cross-reference here next to Romans chapter 6. Peter concludes his first epistle by saying, but grow in grace and then in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what chapter 6 is going to be about. Grace compels us to grow in our knowledge of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, then we find practical daily success in the way we live in being conformed to the character of God. Someone once said that churches are not to be cul-de-sacs, but thoroughfares. Churches are not supposed to be cul-de-sacs, but thoroughfares. Think of that in relationship to progressing in the likeness of God. The church should be a family where God's people explore together his character, and as they do, they progress through life with genuine spiritual success. So, should Grace Church of Menor be a cul-de-sac? Or it should be a thoroughfare in this regard? 
Should we not understand who Jesus Christ is, why he came? Should we not turn from our sin, own him? And then as we grow in his grace here and learn more about him, become more fortified, strengthened to be able to go outside these walls and to be light in our community that represents his character, a distinct character, a distinct light, so that others might see that light through your good works and then come to glorify your Father who's in heaven. We come here, we learn as phase two of our learning. You're learning on your own. In your own study of the word, you come here, you learn more. We grow in grace and we go out so that we might be proper light in our community with those who need the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin to unpack this passage today and then continue over the next several weeks or so to appropriate its truth to assist us in understanding how we can personally win more battles than we lose in our personal walk with the Lord. By the way, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a great cross-reference text, as well as 2 Peter 3, 9 here to Romans 6. The writer of Hebrews gives us an exhortation there to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily what? Sets us, besets us, sets us aside, knocks us off course. So we know that it's each and every tendency here to be easily set off course. But the writer of Hebrews before he wrote Hebrews 12, gave to us Hebrews 5, where he's giving somewhat of a strong exhortation to people that had been around the word of God for some time and had become very familiar with it. But he tells them that they haven't taken advantage of what they know about the word. So they're living like they're babies in Jesus Christ instead of a spiritual adults. And he says, when you should be teachers of the word, you're still feasting off the milk of the word, the simple things of the word. And the consequence of that is for the believer's life is we do not have a sharpened, honed ability to discern between good and evil. So growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, particular to our context, knowing more about him and our ability through him to live holy has everything to do with knowing more about what the word says about him. And the more we know about it and the more we appropriate it and we step outside these walls, we're going to be better discerners between right and wrong, good and evil. And we will certainly have more opportunities to explain that grace that's in our lives to people who should notice a difference. So this chapter is divided up into two major sections, and they're both announced by a question. They're both announced by a question. It's not a typical format for the Apostle Paul in this book. These sections are announced by a question, and then he answers the question with a question, and then he gives some pretty solid explanation um, after each. The first question we find in the beginning part of the chapter, chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we, here's the first major question, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And then he gives an answer, and the answer is 
may it never be. And then he asks a question. And then he's going to spend all the way through verse 14 answering the whole matter. Are we continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He asks for some of us a rhetorical question to begin, gives an obvious answer, and then he asks a question that's going to compel us to deeper thinking and understanding of how we can manage our way through this old life, winning more battles than we lose. Look at verse 15 now. He answers, he asks another question. What then? Second major question. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. And then a question to spark our thinking again, that he's going to take time to answer all the way through verse 23. And by the way, for some of you that love to use the Romans road to talk to people about Jesus Christ, verse 23 is going to come into a wonderful, blessed context now. By the time we get done with chapter 6, it'll hopefully be really encouraging to you. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or in obedience resulting in righteousness? Two pretty sobering questions. Very sobering questions. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Those are two major sections announced by two major questions two major answers, and then two additional questions to get our mind thinking about how do we maintain spiritual success on our walk. I believe in any Christian congregation, there are varying degrees of spiritual maturity. But there is not one soul in this building, for those of you who are newer in Christ, there's not one person in this building this morning regardless of how long they've been in Christ, that doesn't struggle with the temptation to sin. You never arrive in life to a state of Christian perfection and a state of Christian holiness. It's not going to come. But what we're going to realize, because of what we have positionally in God, in Christ Jesus... That the same grace that saves us is the same grace that we saw in 15 and 20 of chapter 5 that sustains us in understanding these questions and their answers of how to find success of winning more than we're losing. I've been uh, in ministry for a little over two decades. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, even, even with my training um, seminary, undergrad, postgrad, doesn't matter. That, that battle still wages in your heart, doesn't it? The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. 
And boy, don't you get tired of that war? I get tired of that war. You contemplate the deep truths of chapter 6 and what we'll find in chapter 7. Though we may periodically grow weary and tiresome in that battle with sin and temptation, uh, we find great refreshment here that we no longer have to live under the power of that sin. What does justification teach us? Remember the overall section of justification, right? Of salvation. Justification, sanctification, preservation. Justification teaches us that when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, He saved us from the ultimate penalty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. I'll repeat that, right? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in. Pretty cool preposition. In Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The, the ultimate penalty of our sin has been wiped away because we've been declared righteous. Chapter 6 and 7 tells us how through the grace of God we can even have power over the temptation to sin in our lives. But it's never found in your own strength. It's not found in an Americanized pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and have a good old hard work ethic. It's sourced in the grace of God. It's learned in the schoolhouse of the grace of God. And so our answer to spiritual success must be found in the truth of Scripture that describe that grace and how it becomes effectual in our daily lives as we walk with the Lord. I want to point out to you here this morning that the pursuit of holiness as we explore it and understand it is something that we find to be attainable in our lives as we work with that divine help from heaven, grace, in pursuing God's character. Being declared righteous is something that God does for us. Being declared positionally holy is something God does for us. Now, chapter 6 and 7 is what do we do with God by His grace to pursue winning more battles than we lose every day? And this is going to be seen in three particular words, verbs or verbals in this text I want to point out to you now. Because this is where we're going to camp out for the next several weeks. Two major sections, we already showed you that. These two major sections are underpinned by three verbs or verbals that tell us how we actualize this divine grace in our lives to win more than we lose. Let's look at those verbs real quickly here. The first verb is going to be seen here. Underneath the first major section. Actually, all three of them are. But it's going to tell us now how we can actively be involved with making sure we're utilizing this divine ability God's given us to win more than we lose. 
So in verses 1 to 9, you'll find the word know several times. You'll find it in verse 3. Or do you not know? Or do you not know? You'll find it beginning in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified. You'll find it again in verse number 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him, and we'll describe that next week. The second verb that we're going to discover together is in verse 11. The third word, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. And the third verb or verbal we're going to find used twice in verse 13. We'll go back up to verse 12 for a little context. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on, there it is, presenting. Stop presenting the members of your body, your capabilities to sin as instruments under righteousness. But, and there it is in a different form, again in verse 13, but, Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Those are the three verbs. Know, consider, and present. So as we approach every day, our desire is to step in the light. We do so by learning his word. As maturing believers, every day we want to spend a portion of our day reading this book, right? Right? As best we can. Either listening to it, memorizing it, reading it. Uh, If we, Galatians 5, if we feed the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our spirit is fed through the food of the word of God. So as as we read the word, as we commune with God in prayer, as we enjoy the fellowship, as we worship, as we serve in the local church, as we try to be spiritually reproductive in town, how do we wake up every day actualizing that which we learn? How do we do this? Pastor Tim, I struggle with this particular sin. I keep falling to this particular sin. How do I actualize Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? How do I lay aside that sin that so easily besets me? Pastor Tim, I had success over this particular sin for over a year. And all of a sudden, I'm just devastated by it again. How? Why? What do I do? Um, Well, I think the answer is simple. It's here. But remember we said growing in holiness is is a glorious agony. So every one of us has to constantly and repetitively uh, rehearse these three verbs in our minds. And we understand that these three verbs, these three actions that we get to do are all underpinned by God's grace. So as you're defeated, as you're discouraged, you don't feel like you can get up and you're guilt-ridden by your failure, just understand that the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustained you. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that can forgive you. 
cause you to stand and you cause you to walk. And how do we walk? Step one, no. Step two, consider. Step three, present. No, consider, present. No, consider, present. And it's a process, isn't it? 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 tells us that that process won't be complete until we see Jesus face to face. You say, that's horrible. No, that's wonderful. Because the process is God molding us continually into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I remember we were on a missions trip to Alberta, Canada. And you've probably seen on the internet, maybe some of you have visited, that there's a gorgeous um, mountain town uh, called Banff, Canada. There's a PGA golf course up there. It's just a pristine, gorgeous, anything that you can, would consider in the Canadian Alps, uh, not Alps, Canadian Rockies, uh, just beautiful town. You, you, you can shop in this town and there's moose wandering the street and, and beautiful flowers. Uh, but the Banff Hotel, it's B-A-N-F-F. Don't Google it now, kids. You can check it out later. I see some of them just... Not is this place real, but I want to take a, take a look. Banff Hotel is just exquisite. One of the most beautiful properties on earth. Um, I could never afford to stay there, but I could go and shop there. So we took an excursion after working through Foundations Baptist Church and doing their vacation Bible school. We took a day excursion up to Banff, Canada, and we, we went to this hotel. In the basement of this hotel are some really neat little shops. Uh, one shop was just a shop full of little wooden toys. Right? And there's a master carver, or there was at that time, in Banff. And this elderly gentleman just loved to sit and carve and paint little wooden toys for children. And he sold his goods there. It's one of the places he sold them. As we walked through that shop, I found something very interesting. He had a large basket of toys that were unfinished, and he had about half unfinished. The next largest basket of toys were toys that were about three-quarters finished. And then he had a third basket of toys that were about 90% finished, and then he had a fourth basket, and they were complete, finished and painted. But they were all for sale. They all had value. And so I went to the gal who was working the register, and I said, you know, do people really buy these unfinished toys? And they said, oh yeah, they find great value in these toys. He said, it's amazing what kids will play with anyway. <laughs> right? So they're going to make a profit off of what kids will play with. But the woodcarver doesn't look at something that's half finished as a failure to be discarded and thrown away. He looks at it as a lesson learned to be able to progress towards that perfect toy, if you will. That's painted that can be thoroughly enjoyed. And I thought about that in relationship to Romans chapter 6 and our spiritual walk. Isn't that what progressive sanctification looks like? I thought about the same thing when I was on my honeymoon and we were in Florence, Italy. And, and we, finished, we, we, we visited the, uh, the marble hall where uh, Michelangelo's David is at the end of the hall. Some of you have been there, right? Well, 
peppered alongside the aisle that leads to his great work of King David are uh, one-third, half, 80% complete marble carvings of different busts and different um, pieces of art he was trying to replicate. And if you talk to the people in that gallery, you would say, well, why are these out here? Here's a half of a face of a man, half of a face of a woman, and then just smooth marble over here, uncarved. And they said, well, he made a mistake with the chin that he, didn't, he couldn't fix, and so he just went on to another piece of marble to start all over. But there's great value in those pieces that are half finished. And they're working their way towards the greatest piece of marble that he's ever carved in, in David. And, and folks, for those of you that under, understand who Jesus Christ is, and you understand how supernatural his grace was to save you and change you, you know, you know by the way he miraculously changed you the moment you're born again, you know, you know that that same grace, if it took a miracle to save you, that same grace that miraculously saved you can, can daily chip away at you and even though you may have made a mistake one day, that doesn't mean that that mistake can't be used of God by his grace to compel you by his grace to be molded into the image of Christ a little bit more successfully the next day. And by the time we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be like him because we're going to see him exactly as he is. But that's what God's grace does. And that should encourage us. The assumption is in chapters 6 and 7 that if you're God's child, you will win more than you lose. All because it's underpinned by God's grace. The assumption is, as the first question was answered, since you have died to sin. You're, by the way, you're not, if you're in Christ, you're not trying to die to sin. You're already dead to sin. Now, how do we actualize God's grace through knowing, considering, and presenting to remind ourselves that we have been made dead to sin? We have died to it. It cannot have power over us if we're actualizing this grace. Now, again, we may fail from time to time, but it should become in time the pattern of every saint here to certainly win more than you lose. That's God's will. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I'm not there yet. That's okay. You're not done being molded. You're not done being formed. It takes time. That's why we encourage you to be in the Word personally. That's why we try to match you up with someone to study God's Word with. As in, 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 with one-on-one one -on -one or in a couple or in a smaller group. And that's why we give you material to study. Because in the studying is the knowing. Remember the first verb? Know. And as you know more about Christ and his word, right, then you're going to be able to be more successful considering yourselves. What does it say here? Consider yourselves to be dead. Reckon yourselves to be dead. You're going to be able to remind yourself more. Think about this. The mental things going on here. 
that affect us spiritually. The more you know, the more you're able to easily see that sin has no power over you because you've already been made dead to it. And then the more you know and the more you consider, guess what else happens more easily? You're able to more continually present and maintain presenting yourselves and your instruments, your capabilities as tools unto God's righteousness rather than instruments unto wickedness. It's a neat little process. It's a simple little process. But again, it's all actualized by the grace of God. So that's our outline. We'll begin with next week. It goes simply like this. Three, three words, all beginning with the letter C, all based off of these three verbs all right, that we'll unpack over the next couple weeks together. Number one, comprehend. Spiritual, winning more than you're losing, takes comprehension. It takes knowledge. Comprehend, verses 1 to 11. 1 to, 1 to 10. Comprehend. And we're going to take it right out of the text in verse 11. Consider. What does that mean? And the rest of that verse. What are we going to need to comprehend? How will that help us consider the appropriate thing? And finally, a word that we all love in this culture, in my weakness, I hesitate to say it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Is everyone sitting down? All right. Conform. Conform. No one got up and walked out. That's good. But remember, it's last. And it's natural in a process. And we're not conforming to a religion. We're not conforming to a church. We're not conforming to a political party. We're not conforming to anything but the image of Jesus Christ. That makes conformity much more precious and much more purposeful as we move forward. Okay? Comprehend. Consider, conform, and we'll start unpacking those things next week. Let's pray together.